The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. Proud official kit suppliers to the Irish men and women's rugby teams. And you're very welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast. Uh, after week one of the United Rugby Championship, I'm delighted to say, uh, most teams got off to a positive start with Ireland. We can say the same about the women's national team, obviously, with what happened on Saturday against Scotland and the World Cup uh, gone as a result. Uh, delighted to welcome Donald Lennon, Wes Liddy and Fiona Hayes to the podcast. You're all very welcome, guys. Um, look, I suppose we'll start with a bit of a positive before, Fiona, we delve into what happened on Saturday and I guess the repercussions of it. Um, but Donald, to be at Towan Park, because yourself and I were, to have a crowd back, to have Munster back to winning ways against one of the South African sides in the new look competition, sure, what could be wrong with life at the moment? Yeah, it was fantastic. I must say, having endured... Uh, the last 12 months, no, I suppose, look, we better be careful here. We were in a privileged few that were able to at least go to matches. Uh, but sitting in the stands for a lot of the games, you know, no crowds in there. It was awful. Go back even to the early internationals, a lot of players. Uh, Hugo Keenan in particular stood out in my head. He, I think he won 11 caps in a row and his family never got to see him play in an Irish jersey. Uh, so to see, during July, obviously, we had uh, the USA and Japan. There was 4,000 people in, uh, in the Aviva. Uh, look, I was lucky to go to South Africa uh, for RT Radio. We did the test series there, but it was absolutely awful in terms of uh, if there's any one side that's geared for a crowd, it's the Lions and the colour of the pageantry, everything around that. Uh, Cape Town, uh, the stadium in Cape Town and Greenpoint, you've been there for sevens duties. Yeah. It's a magnificent stadium. It was built for the, uh, for the Soccer World Cup in 2010 uh, and to see it empty was awful. So uh, I have to say, having traffic back on the road from Cork to Limerick, yeah. uh, going into Thoman Park, 11,000 people. Uh, I mean, it felt like a full crowd. You, you add that, the, the sort of the vibe around Simon Zebo, just uh, when he was warming up, you could see the kids. And this is the great thing. The kids were back in Thoman Park. They were hanging over the wall. Zebo's warming up. I mean, he's such a charismatic guy. Uh, he's built for kids. The kids, he'll salute them. He'll smile at them. He'll talk to them. Yeah. Uh, even during the warm-up. I mean, they don't get that from <laughs> anybody else. So uh, to score as he did after six minutes, it kind of, uh, it just gave a reminder of what we've been missing over the last 18 months. And, you know, as we go on, more and more crowds will be um, allowed into the stadium. So look, it was great. It was fantastic. Listen, listen I can tell you, uh, like Wes and Fiona, Donald says he loves the crowds being back, but I tell you, when he and I were hot-tailing it out of there, he wanted to get back on the road to Cork. He was handing <laughs> off lads left and right. It's very <laughs> Back in his former playing days, Ziggins out into the crowd. Exactly. Well, the Ryder Cup, the Ryder Cup was on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Ryder Cup was on. He went back to Cork. But look, it was brave. And look, Fiona as well, I think Donald's point about Simon Zebo as well. As soon as he came out for the kind of pre-match warm-up as well, there was a big cheer. He had a big smile on his face. And it was like almost he never left. He was straight back into it and straight back in with a try as well. It was great to see. Yeah, it was. It was brilliant to see for the fans. I mean, um, I'd normally go. I actually, the mother's house is right beside Toman Park, so I'd normally be up there. That's but um, That's yeah. how <laughs> <laughs> used to jump the wall yeah. back in the day, but those days are gone now. But yeah. um, but yeah, no, it. I I had an AIL match, so we watched it after the game, and just even the excitement down in Ballincollig. Anytime Zevo got on the ball, and when he scored, and of course he's all uh, salute to the crowd after the try was brilliant. Even the bar was going mad, so it's just. It's a great buzz to have him back. What you what you think of him? People will debate what they think of him as a rugby player, but for for like for the crowds, just for his whole 
personality around the place. Absolutely brilliant for Tone Park for him to be back again, home Wes, as he calls it. Yeah, and Wes, if I gave you a choice, you know, between at the first game of the United Rugby Championship at Tone Park and Munster or to be at Limerick's All Ireland final, you'd have a real struggle, wouldn't you? About which <laughs> yeah, game? really, it'd be a tough one, all right. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah it was brilliant though, to have it back and like the new tournament and. It was just a Zebo obviously added to it, I suppose, in a in a less um, less fan favorite way, but but just a significant way on the field it was probably massive to have Snaman getting some time as well. Mm. Um, I suppose like you you wouldn't want to be negative on the first week of it. You want to see how it plays out, but there, there possibly was a couple of worries for the tournament in the performance of some of the South African teams. Um, so other than that, though, yeah, delighted it's back for sure. Yeah, I look. I guess this is the point, Donald. Um, that was alluded to. You know, Leinster were very comfortable ultimately against the Bulls. At uh, the first half, we saw a lot of sharks in possession against Munster, but it did very little with it. They certainly didn't get any points on the board, and it wasn't really until the final 15, 20 minutes when they kind of opened up and sort of said to themselves, "God, <clears throat> we could actually play a bit of rugby here and might have some success." That we saw them start to play. Now, look, it's going to take time for the Zapping size to bet in. First of all, you know they're away from home for a lot. They're missing their Springbok contingents. We can't expect them to be, you know, dominating games from the off against the best sides in the competition from the very first weekend, can we? <clears throat> no, we can't. And I think, to be fair, look, um, you know, there was nothing in the performances over the weekend that surprised us overly. We, we felt it was going to take time for them to bed in. Uh, to be fair to Leinster, I thought the team that would stand up and give the uh, create the most difficulties for the opposition would have been the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls put 44 points on the Sharks in the Curry Cup final only two weeks prior to it. You look at the quality they had in their side in a number of areas um, and the fact that Leinster, uh, as clinical as ever, it was like Leinster, you know, there was no pre-season, there was no summer break. They were back into their mould almost immediately, 17 nil up uh, in, in, in the first uh, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, so the performance of the, the Bulls surprised me a little bit. Um, but look, there are huge issues surrounding a lot of the franchises in South Africa. It was made very obvious to me when I was down there. Uh, the Sharks, um, you know, are a proud uh, province, the old Natal, as we would have known them. Like, there's challenges in all fronts in South African rugby. Not least, I, I was talking to somebody in the Sharks, and they say, look, our biggest challenge every year, we've been through seven, eight real good quality young players. And within another 12 months, they're gone overseas. Um, so there's a constant churning of their squads. Uh, the Bulls, uh, to be fair, it's going the other way. Jake White, there's a big backer in, in the Bulls. He's bringing back, we saw, you know, the likes of Marcel Kutsia had gone back there last year. Uh, Arno Botha that we'd know from Munster. Uh, Bismarck Duplessis has gone back from Montpellier. So I think they will get stronger. I think there's a recognition that the rugby up here is far better than they had anticipated. Uh, like the Bulls being hammered by Benetton in the final of the, the Rainbow Cup was a real eye-opener eye for those in South Africa. Um, but look, there is talent there. We've got to be patient. The Sharks, as you say, I mean, as the game went on, it was almost as if they threw the shackles off. Uh, the two wingers, they showed what they could do. Mm. Um, and bear in mind, you know, as we said in commentary, wait till November, December, Munster go down to Pretoria. They go to Joburg. Uh, they'll be playing at 6,000 feet. It'll be 32 degrees. Uh, it'll be slightly different at Thoman Park on a lovely autumnal evening. So there are different challenges. But, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I think the South African, uh, the, the four top South African franchises, the best thing that's happened to the, uh, the newly formed league. 
bear in mind the season after next, one of them will be in the Heineken Cup. And I think it's only a matter of time before South Africa joined the Six Nations. So this is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. We've got to be patient. Yeah. I, don't, I, did, I, I, did, I don't know if you heard during the week, but there was some talk that a couple of the South African franchises may have to play their home games in Italy, um, yeah. which would be a huge blow, I think, to their, After. their competitiveness in the tournaments and, and probably ultimately their interest levels if they're away from home for that long. And maybe, it, you know, I, I would have concerns that that would be very anticlimactic if that happened. Yeah, well, obviously, that, that's all as a consequence of the COVID scenario, which is still fairly stark down in South Africa. I mean, it's only August since we were there. There's curfews there. Um, so, I mean, there's still a lot going uh, happening down there. They were hoping, I think, to have fans, some element of fans back in their own stadia for those games in November, December. There was talk initially uh, of them setting up camps in northern Italy or Croatia. But for them not to have home games, uh, again, it's almost going to be like another last year for the tournament. And if that happens, that would be a blow. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. What did you make of Munster, Fiona? Just the performance overall, maybe a couple of times. I know Craig Casey got man of the match. Zebo scored, obviously. Uh, Joey Carberry, well, I'll leave you to it. What did you think of them overall? Yeah, I suppose they have, like, they've yet answered questions, I suppose, that were there from last season on the attacking front. I mean, some of the tries scored were exciting. Um, I thought Dan Goggin in the centre, although it wasn't an absolutely outstanding performance, I thought he'd done his job well. Um, a nice little chip through for, for Zebo's second try. Um, Joey Carberry, it's it's almost like a work in progress. We know what he can offer. He, I love the way he plays the game on the, he plays it on the glade. And I, I love when he gets involved and he's there and he shows up. I thought he was in and out of the game, to be honest with you. And I do firmly believe that Healy will put slight pressure on him at times with um, that starting jersey with Munster, because I actually thought when he came on, he he done a few very good things. Um, good performance overall, but when I, I, I watch back the Leinster, I suppose, performance the next day and... Uh, I may I may have viewed Munster in a different light after watching that. They were so clinical. They were slick hands. Their catch pass, everything about them was absolutely top notch in that mm. game. And although Munster played good rugby at times, I think there was a lot to improve. And I definitely, I, I definitely think it is kind of slowly going to build up out of the, through the season. But I just wish we came out of the blocks absolutely firing, and mm. you know, and that's where we want to be, and that's how you go through a season. And, and the fans want to see that attacking plan platform that we haven't seen in maybe last season slightly at times but not all the time and that's why I, I suppose I specifically mentioned Joey Carberry there and, and look we know the injury that he had Fiona and how long he was out um, but I just I, I keep coming back to the Joey Carberry that was plucked from the AIL Clontarf into the Leinster squad straight into the almost Irish setup then and how how he was playing at that time was just this abandonment of fear this complete almost carelessness at times, but it worked so well because of the way he was able to approach the game, the speed at which he was able to play the game at, the lines he used to take it out half, or even when he was switched to fullback as well. And that player is, is still a long way off from what we see in the current guys. Now, I think Munster fans and the Munster coaches are placing a lot of faith that he can return to that form. But I guess there's no guarantees. And it's just a little bit worrying that he hasn't really shown anywhere near that glimpse of form that we see today. Is there? 
Yeah, it's definitely that. We haven't seen that. I mean, that, as you said, that no fair Joey Carberry, that kind of, but I suppose once you get into a structured system and you move up the chain, when you get into to Leinster, into Ireland, I think there is a lot of pressure put on your shoulders. And I, I even think towards the end of his injury, was he playing the best rugby we've ever seen or we've seen him play in the past? Maybe not, you know, so so that's the thing. It's He does have... He does have that X factor, but does he bring it enough in the games, I suppose? And it's and for me, it's that consistent game time at 10. I mean, we spoke about it so often in the women's game, there was 10s in and out. But the more game time he, he gets, I think he will start to become more comfortable with the players around him, who he's playing with. He's obviously in a Munster team where he hasn't had a big long run of games. So it's it's about getting in there, getting that game time. And hopefully we'll start to see that X factor when he relaxes a little bit. A lot of weight on his shoulders as well. What did you think of him, Donald? Uh, I thought he was he had a mixed game. Um, you know, as, as Fiona said, looking to, from a, an attacking perspective, um, you know, we, he didn't have the impact on the game that you would have thought. But a, a probably more concern is on the defensive side. We saw a bit of this last year. Um, like, Carberry's defence was always superb. Um, you know, I could understand having been out of the game for so long. Um, you know, he had a couple of questionable defensive performances. I think he missed six tackles against the Sharks on, on Saturday night. So, I mean, that uh, is a confidence thing more than anything. And uh, But look, you, I think he's deserved, he has credit in the bank. He's been out for so long. Uh, and uh, it does happen with a player like Carberry when you're you're trying to prove yourself almost immediately. Every time you get on the ball, you're trying to do something rather than settle in and, um, you know, just allow yourself to grow into the game. Um, look, by virtue of the fact that he sprinted off and he was replaced by Healy, it's a question now of putting. He needs a run of four or five games. Uh, I would imagine uh, the likes of Andy Farrell will be watching him very critically with the November internationals coming up. You want him putting pressure on Johnny Sexton. Um, you know, and and I think that for me is one of the key elements within the Munster setup. Uh, ben Healy, no question. Uh, he did well again when he came on, but I would say Ben Healy was outstanding coming off the bench last year. There were games that he started in when he just seemed to lack the confidence that uh, you need from that starting position. I remember one game in Bennett on really... Um, you know, he he took two steps backwards, I felt, at the time. And there is a lot of competition within that uh, setup, which you need. But look, I think you put Damien Dialande back in that side with Chris Farrell next to um, Joey Carberry. You have so many other options there. Uh, look, I've no doubt he'll come good. Uh, I think right now his priority is playing, you know, a block of games, be it three or four games, just build himself back into the, uh, get his confidence up and uh, you know I've no doubt we will get back to the player we saw two or three years ago Whereas I didn't quite realise it was six mixed tackles which is a lot um, and Donald says he has credit in the bank which he does absolutely I guess the issue is how much credit does he have and how long would that credit extend for I mean Ireland needs Joey Carberry to put pressure on Sexton Munster need him as well to kind of lead the way we know Billy Burns really isn't up to an international level Jack Carty struggled for consistency as well you know so Johnny Sexton is still our main fly half and Joey Carberry I think we're all desperate to see hit some of that form back, but there's no guarantees that he will. And I think the longer this goes on, the more people are kind of going, Jesus, like, is it, is it going to happen at all, you know? I think the injury is, is, is overlooked as well, though. I think it does, you look at any sport, it does take an amount of time to get your best form back after you recover. I think, look, Joe Schmidt is a pretty um, astute judge of talent and not uh, 
a huge risk taker in selection necessarily. So when he plucked him at the, the level of his career he was at and was comfortable seeing him see out that win in Soldier's Field, I think it was an indicator of the ability the guy has. And we saw that in flashes with Leinster. Mm. But I do remember saying at the time, playing uh, Pro 14 as it was then, games, um, you know, while the internationals were away in Leinster and you were beating teams by 20 points every week, playing at full back in a full-strength Leinster team, I, I, I think it's a completely different challenge that that presented than to be the week-in, week-out, first-choice 10 in, let's be honest, a less dominant and a more a team that plays more traditionally, more conservatively in Munster. I think it's a different skill set, uh, a slightly different skill set at times needed in this role than what he exhibited uh, in, 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 the, in the game with Leinster, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, and look, as you say, there's time in the back. I mean, conversely as well, if you want to be looking at Jonathan Sexton, who, uh, you know, had a bit of a break, didn't have to go on the Lions tour, which I know he was absolutely good at about. But, you know, selfishly from an Irish perspective, it might be the best thing that happened to Johnny Sexton because he was given that time off. His body has rested. He looked very good uh, at the weekend as well. And we are still as reliant on Sexton, however much we want to say we are, as ever, unfortunately or fortunately, however you view that. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I thought he even varied his range of kicking in the game, in the Leinster game, I thought. Um, there was some beautiful little grubber through, chip through another time where Frawley ran onto it. I suppose he's adapting to this new 50-22 uh, uh, law as well, where maybe defenders are sitting a bit deeper. So you're you're probably looking at maybe exploiting that space above, uh, behind the first uh, line of defence. And I think he really looked like he was very sharp to that as well in the game at the weekend. I just thought he just looked like a rejuvenated character. I suppose he had a, a little chip on his shoulder and every 10 will tell you when they have a chip in their shoulder. And he, and he openly said he was very disappointed about that line yeah. score and, and probably had a right to be um, We saw as we saw the way it went. But um, he came out, he obviously done his business in uh, the preseason, and he's looking sharp as ever which is great for Irish rugby and you know we just need someone now to follow in his footsteps and put him under a bit of pressure up yep. at the top absolutely um, just speaking of section, you. I guess that is before- yeah. when did you last see him start the first game of the season I did, I'm, I'm trying to think it's, it must be seven or eight years like either, Leinster in fairness they're probably for the first time in years that a whole bunch of their top top players haven't had any Summer involvement, largely yeah. like a, like a lot, you know. James Ryan missed out mm. the Lions, a few more like that. Like they're they're probably in a position to hit the ground running even more so than they've ever been, yeah. um, this season. Absolutely, hundred percent. And on that yeah, as well, I, yeah, go on. Yeah, no, I, I I'd agree with that. And you actually get the sense of, um, you know, I think that defeat to La Rochelle last year and the manner of it in the you know in the in the Heineken Champions Cup really has sort of lit a fire under Leinster. The fact that they have the James Ryans, the Johnny Sexton, all those guys driving standard in the preseason, which they never have. Uh, I mean, the guys that were involved with Ireland in the in the summer were the younger cohort, you know, the likes of, of Harry oh, Byrne and those yeah, lads. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gary Ringrose missed that series. He was out injured as well. So all of yeah. a sudden, you have the core of your players who are setting the example for the younger group. You know, the likes of Max Deegan is back in the, uh, in the equation. Caelan Doris, who missed a lot of last year. He's back in there. I mean, Leinster, um, I, I think we're going to see a big reaction from them over what happened last year. And I think that's going to drive everything they do. It'll drive the standards. It'll drive the competition for places. Um, and it'll drive the quality that they present week on week. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Just, w- just wondering, would, would you, 
would, would you have any concerns now that the like it's a positive for the profile of the tournament, but now that the games aren't being played during international windows, it takes an obvious uh, opportunity for rotation away from all the teams. And we always said we wanted more first-choice teams, but more first-choice lineups being played. But I would w- worry for the guys outside the kind of, the younger players really, outside the, not even the 22, but outside 22 to 28 maybe, the next bunch of guys coming in. The bottom end of your squad, I think it's going to be very hard for them to, well, to get game time of any sort. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the AIL and players being released back to that. But, but is that, but Wes, is that a bad thing, right? In, in the context of only you know, it's a bad thing for those there. younger players. It is, but is it a bad thing for the Leinster squad? And I say this because they've rotated, you know, to beat the band for the last few years. And when it's come to the crunch games, they've come down, they've fallen short every single time against in those big Champions Cup games. No, I, I agree like, with you there, but so, that, that wouldn't be the way I'd be looking at it. I'd be looking at it as there, there is no, as it stands, second string competition now. Yeah. So wh- where are these guys playing now? Well, they'd have to go elsewhere if they want first And, you know, you're, ex- you're looking at a young guy, like say, you're talking about Joey Carberry a minute ago, like I'd have huge hope for say Jack Crowley. Yeah. But like, what happened? Like, so you're waiting for him to play and then you're, you've kind of, you know, you're, you're keenly observing him when he does play, but he hasn't played a match in eight weeks in the meantime. Here's a mad idea. Here's a mad idea, right? What about these pairs go and play in the All-Ireland League from which <laughs> rugby in this bloody country was founded on? The RFU actually put some effort into running a decent league at the top level and we bring these pairs through our own domestic game. Isn't that a crazy idea, lads? What do you think, Donald? <laughs> Never heard it before. Never heard think, it before. I think if they, I, idea. I think if they don't let the women play the OEL, uh, they're hardly going to leave the lads. Play, so. you, I mean, oh, you think in fairness, though, Hugh, serious right in the face here. You think in fairness, though, as it's currently set up, that performing for Shannon or Carcan or whoever is a genuine indicator of whether a guy can play in the European Cup. Not the, the way week. it's not the way it's set up, but because of the neglect that has been put into this all Ireland league. I, I, I agree with you, but and the women's game, which Fiona's going to talk about in a couple of minutes' time. This is yeah. where we're at. If they put any sort yeah. of effort into running a decent league, we would have a prime subsystem league ready for these players to play week in, week out in front of their local players as a kind of a feeder system into the butcher. I mean, that's just makes too much yeah. sense, Donald, doesn't it? Well, look, the bottom line is there is issues at the moment because, uh, you know, things like the Celtic Cup, I think, have been put in the, uh, in the bay. And it's because of the COVID. I mean, you know, uh, we're, we're far from out of this scenario without getting too morbid about it, but it is still having an impact on the game. Uh, now, I have to say, to be fair, I just heard the first round of the All-Ireland League is starting over the weekend and uh, uh, we got indications that some of the, the players will be made available to the teams. That was unexpected. Um, because of the bubble scenario, but that, you know, obviously things have eased out there. So it looks as if a certain cohort of players around the country, to be fair to the provinces, will be released to their clubs this weekend, which is great to see um, uh, in terms of, look, I think we cribbed for so long that I, like every year, Leinster, you you get to April or May and uh, Leo comes out and, you know, it's always somewhere between 50 and 52 players have performed for Leinster in the Pro 14. Uh, it's great that they do get exposure, but I also think at times that they create bad habits because even with all those changes, those players aren't stressed enough. So that really, uh, it doesn't it doesn't achieve a whole lot in the longer term. But uh, for me, look, I'm quite happy with the new format. I think it is way better. Are we, we're now going to have interprovincials where the squads 
we'll see the best players. We'll see the best of Munster and Leinster, Ulster and Connacht playing off against each other. There's an internal trophy now for that because of the new qualification system for the Heineken Champions Cup. There's a separate pool. So there's only one um, Irish squad guaranteed to get into the, uh, the Heineken Cup. So that's going to make those games far more competitive. Yes, there is a cost at the other end in terms of bringing on the, 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 the players, the younger players, but they just have to find another avenue for that. And I still think there'll be plenty of rotation. Yeah, absolutely. Just on the Leinster then, um, Neil Tracy spoke to Leinster coach Stuart Lancaster this week and started by asking him how satisfied he was with a 31-3 win against the Bulls, especially the given that they'd only played one pre-season match against Harlequins. This is what he had to say. I thought the pre-season game was a good one for us. You know, English champions um, coming to the Aviva. Uh, I think they were only missing like Joe Mara, Marcus Smith, and I think we were missing 15 or so. Uh, so to, to get that performance under the belt was good. He's right in that you know we were a bit nervous about being undercooked, um, particularly playing against a team that have played what non-stop the last six or seven months. Uh, Curry Cup champions, they were scoring or have scored an average of forty points a game for the last six games. So and you know they've got Jake White as coach, they've just had Bismarck to Plessis, they've got Marcel Cossier as the captain. You know a really serious outfit. So to beat them thirty-one-three and keep them to three was really pleasing, and I think. People maybe don't appreciate um, how strong a team Bulls are going to be and how hard they're going to be to beat. So to play them first up and get that result, we were really pleased. And you say you were maybe a little bit nervous going into it about just the, the lack of game time, but was the fact that you had the likes of Johnny Sexton, James Ryan, Andrew Porter, Gary Ringrose, a lot of those experienced internationals available, where normally you wouldn't at this stage of the season, did that kind of help ease things a little bit? Yeah, but only, but only because they've had a good preseason themselves, you know. So obviously they had a decent break from um, uh, from the summer series. Johnny obviously didn't didn't he didn't play in the summer series, so he was straight back to preseason. So we'd had a good five six weeks with them. Uh, so we were pretty confident, and you know we back our training methods and our training regime to get them ready. But you never really know is the answer. Um, I was pleased with how the Quins game went. I was pleased with how the Bulls game went. But I still felt we had opportunities that we left out there that we could have taken, um, and it's a start. You know, it's a, it's a, that's all it is. You know, it's well, we end of September. And we're talking about finals rugby in June. So there's a long way to go. And lastly, for me, then you mentioned like how, you, how you've had Johnny all summer that he wasn't involved with Ireland and he's had a big preseason behind him. How important has that been for not just himself but even the younger players in the squad to be able to be around someone like Johnny Sexton with his experience over the course of a full preseason? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's uh, it's invaluable, really. I mean, it's it's you can't put a price on learning from a player um, like Johnny. Really, it's very hard to to replicate that as a coach. Um, I mean, Johnny would hold them to account, you know, and his standards were high enough. He he definitely does that. So there's a standard that he sets, an expectation that means that the young players learn what that level is, um, and uh, but also they learn the the subtlety of his game and the the ability of him to manipulate defenders and create space and his vision to be able to see things early. So you can talk to players about that, but unless you've seen it um, firsthand, it's very hard to um, to coach. So it's been invaluable for me, really. I mean. My, I'll give you an example. My son um, has just uh, uh, signed at Leicester, so he's with George Ford as a young. He's a ten, and uh, 
10, 12, and uh, every day he's coming back saying, oh, George taught me this, or I learned this from George. And it's the same with our lads. You know, when you've got the likes of Johnny in there, like I say, I think when we look back in a few years' time, it'll have been one of the best pre-seasons ever that they've had. But also, I think that he's had, you know, because he's been able to really commit to training full-time, get his body in good shape. And I think you can see it in his performances. OK, so that's uh, Stuart Lancaster speaking to Neil Tracy. I, I want to mention Connacht as well. Bernard Jackman wrote a really good piece in the Sunday Independent, um, Fiona, about um, Connacht and, I guess, um, the investment needed from the RFU in order to make them uh, you know, sustainably competitive over the, over the coming season. We saw on, on Friday night when they went to Cardiff. Again, Cardiff played very well. But Andy Friend is almost caught between two stools here in that he doesn't have the size of players needed to play a certain type of way, so he has to adapt. Um, but yet playing that way as well can lead to situations like you go to a Cardiff on a Friday night and you can see the load of points. I love what he's trying to do at Connacht. They need investment, though, and they need more players, really, I guess, to make them more competitive. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think there was, um, is it Fafita that was injured as well during yeah. the week? And I think he will definitely add something to, to that squad. We thought maybe adding, well, I certainly did Papa Lee come in. Um, thought that he would make a, bit, a massive difference, but I suppose maybe he was just getting used to the system. His discipline at times let him down for Connacht. So they, they've, they've definitely got some sort of, you know, slight structure there, but it's investment is what they need. I, watch, I watched the game myself on mm. Friday night and i thought um while cardiff were good i thought it was um i thought connacht actually performed quite poorly i was very um disappointed with the two centers tom farrell and tom daly i thought they weren't great which tom daly last season was absolutely standing outstanding all season i thought he was on the verge of maybe getting up into an irish camp i think he was called once maybe so i do i think he a friend is building something but it's definitely i think i think it's definitely bigger players the pack Beelham, the front row at times can be hit and miss Dennis Buckley's in out. I think when they're missing their starters, their main guys, they tend to be at at, at the end of a big a, a big point loss. And mm. you know, there's no team that can deal with that. You really need to have the equivalent. I mean, we saw Ulster at the weekend, and what they brought off the bench was probably the making of the game for them. I thought, you know, Tom O'Toole was outstanding. So I think Connacht need to get to a place where they're bringing on their players off the bench, and it's an absolutely same standard of game, and it keeps going. And that's what I found at times that hasn't happened with Connacht. So it's definitely investment and lacking those big ball carriers. Yeah, because we've seen Donald from Connacht as well that they are capable of beating anybody on their day it's just the consistency I guess at the very very top which if you want to mention requires more personnel it requires a stronger squad and their frontline guys being available to them all the time which just doesn't happen as is the case in rugby you know yeah look and it is going to be more challenging obviously because they'll be playing opponents this year who will be uh, they'll be more fully locked and loaded than they would have been in the past certainly when it comes to the interprovincial games uh, just going back to the, to the piece that Birch wrote Look, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it doesn't sort of sit well now in the professional game when you're saving pennies, getting on the sort of the red-eye flight. Uh, that has an impact. Uh, you know, he was talking about the, the, they flew home at 7 a.m. in the morning from, from Cardiff. Certainly, I know the, uh, the other provinces, they'd be chartering flights for those playing. So, therefore, you're, you're back. You might be home at 2 in the morning, but at least you're waking up in your own bed. And that makes a huge difference in terms of the start of your preparation for next week. I mean, they have a tough game now. Um, you know, they're playing the Bulls um, on Friday night. So, therefore, even from that point of view, they'd have won less day turnaround in terms of, uh, well, they're, they're, they're playing Friday. But um, I think the Bulls will be better for their game against Leinster. All of a sudden, 
like given the quality and the experience of a lot of those players, I think a bulb will have gone off now because they played Benetton in Italy, were beaten in that Rainbow Cup final. They've now played Leinster and were really put to the sword uh, with a Leinster team who still have a lot of key players to come into it. So I'd be interested to see how the Bulls react, but I think uh, that's going to prove that'll be a, a very interesting game on, on, on Friday night. But you know, you mentioned and, uh, Andy Friend to me since he's gone out west, he's managed to sort of squeeze and maximize the best out of what they have. But it is a challenge, and you can see he gets frustrated at times because just when he thinks they have that level of consistency or they're maybe getting to the next level, they just seem to fall off the stairs and have to start at the bottom again. Yeah, exactly. I did see um, Hugh Horgan sent me a picture of a couple of the Sharks boys, Grabbler, I think, and Roots last night in the Boar's Head with about 40 points of Guinness <laughs> behind them. So maybe they're on a night out ahead of the Ospreys this week. I'll be interested to see how they perform after a night out in the Boar's Head. But listen, um, I want to move on, if we can, to, to Saturday, Fiona, um, because I, I don't even know what to say anymore. Um, performance against Scotland was, was simply not good enough. Uh, I know the players were desperately upset at the end, and I did feel for you know, every single one of them because they were <clears throat> so desperate to qualify for the World Cup. But if I'm being brutally honest with you, over the course of those three games, the qualifiers, they simply were not good enough. And, you know, I know there are huge external factors behind that, which we get into. But in terms of performance levels, they can have no complaints because they just weren't good enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, it was I read something during the week, Alan Quinlan said, you know, that the players have to look at themselves as well. And and I, I would firmly believe they are doing that. Um. I've said before, you know, they've worked set piece up a camp. They've they've had people in. They've had um, they've had a lot of time done on that line out and scrum, and for it to implode the way it did over the course of the three games, I mean, the players have to put their hand up and take responsibility for that. You can't you can't blame a coaching setup hundred percent for that. In general, you know, people looked at selection and maybe looked around that, and was that a reasoning behind that? But I firmly believe anyone that's invited to any camp and when you're up at camp, everybody's at that level. So you should be able, when you're picked, you should be able to get to go out there and perform. And at times they didn't, the decision-making at times was crazy. The catch pass was like, was, was not up to scratch. I, uh, that was one of the things I thought we'd worked a lot on in camps in the last over COVID. They talked a lot about it and it just didn't seem to happen. So yeah, I a hundred percent green agree with the, the players need to stand up as well. And, and they certainly will. And, and a lot of them ha- are so, so disappointed in how they performed. You mentioned selection there. Does that not have to like come into it as a huge, uh, I guess, head scratcher in many ways, you know, you mentioned the line out there. Even McDermott has been a huge part of their line. It's like taking Devin Toner out of the, the Lenser Ireland setup, you know, when he was the go-to uh, for the last couple of years. She was taken out of the team in the first game. Um, no Claire Malloy in the starting team, which again, I just don't understand. Now, maybe there's reasons behind it, but certainly I haven't heard a good reason yet why she wasn't in the starting uh, 15. Uh, Anna Capeless not even making the squad. She signed a contract with Harlequins. She was one of Ireland's best back row forwards in the last couple of years. I mean, Lucy Mahal starting in the outside centre. I'm a huge fan of Lucy as well, but straight from the sevens into 13, where she was just left totally exposed, I think, um, when Eve Higgins had been doing a good job. Like, these are key selection decisions, Fiona, that Adam Griggs made. And I'm, I'm baffled. I'm absolutely baffled by every single one of them. Yeah, I suppose I, I'm going to have to put my hand up and say I'm a- absolutely baffled as well. You know, um, it's some of those decisions. I mean, we'll just we'll focus on one in particular, the Claire Malloy decision. I mean... 74 caps what Ah. she can offer you whether as i spoke before whether she's 
like 0.4 of a second slower getting up off the ruck the way they measure things now um getting up off the ground and whoever else is coming in behind her when it comes to the heat of the battle in the game that does not matter you know and what she can offer you and what she did offer when she came on and on those last two games was was immense I mean we saw in the last game you spoke I mean I was listening to you spoke about like her turnover I know um at a very very key point of the game I know it was turned around due to the high tackle but that turnover was immense and there's very few players that know how to judge a ruck like that you know it's it's the years of playing where you give the referee that look up and you know whether you can go in there whether you can get away with one whether you're quick enough and she just absolutely has that yeah she might give away one or two penalties every couple of games but she is one of the best in the business she's the best female seven I've ever played with or seen playing and that's I it baffled me it baffled me I suppose if you want to breathe in youth I still think you need to have a couple of old heads around to show them the ropes and I think that's what they lacked yeah and look overall yeah. Wes, you know Donald sorry go on yeah I know just on that point I mean <clears throat> the one thing that struck me about the match watch the anthems Right, I, I think Ireland's call was first, and if you looked at the faces of the girls, they looked absolutely petrified. There was a sort of a vacant stare there. You could feel the pressure on their shoulders long before the game started. Go down the line, Scotland were second. All the Scottish girls, they were singing proudly. They were smiling. It was almost as if they could. They'd identified one or two of the family in the in the, the crowd. And when I looked at that, now, admittedly, I looked back in the game. I didn't see it live, but, you know, I like to watch things like that. Body language is very important. Mm. So, therefore, even a Claire Malloy, given her experience, going into that sort of a decider, like, that's a function of management for me. You've got to assess the mood of the team. You've got to assess, you've got to take the pressure off the player, okay? Um, and a Claire Malloy, the experience that she would bring in a key game like that, just even in the dressing room before you go out, when you're in your huddle and you're looking around and just seeing her in that huddle for a lot of those younger players, I have no doubt would have lifted them further. But, uh, you know, it's all about the atmosphere that you create. But that just that one impact alone, you know, when I saw the girls' faces in the anthems, you know, I felt, Jesus, they seem to have the, the weight of a nation on their shoulders. And then on the final whistle, I mean, the scenes were harrowing. You play sport for enjoyment. We all know you lose far more in sport than you win. And that's why the good days are there to be celebrated. But I have to say, I mean, they were harrowing those scenes at the end. And, you know, I felt so sorry. Um, uh, Kira Griffin, I've met her a couple of times. She's a really impressive girl. Uh, she talks so much about the jersey. She's a passionate Kerry woman. And yeah, she is. And look, you know, to see her, Senna Inupu, just comforting her at the end. Uh, it was sad. I, I really felt sorry for them because, you know, bear in mind throughout this COVID thing, all these girls are working, or the vast majority of them are working. The sacrifices that they made, yeah. um, you know, to have nothing to show for it. But look, I also agree, you judged on your performances on the field and, um, you know, they were, they were off the pace in so many things. If your set piece is under the pressure that it is, and what's wrong, you know, in the modern game, like, uh, from a lineup perspective, you can cut your lineup because of lifting. You can create space. You can create movement. The primary thing is to win the ball. Worry about what you're doing with the ball after you've won it. But, you know, I think we could have been a little more innovative in terms of what we did around the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't happen either. But look, I, I, it was a very sad day. 
but it with was, that, yeah. sorry you to come in yeah. there and Donald, but with that, you you learn that through playing, through playing the games, through getting involved. And I know with COVID and everything, but a lot of those girls that were leaders in that line out have played very little club game and have played very few games, maybe at that high level. Do you know what I mean? So for them not to, for them not to spend maybe 18 months, not being under that pressure of a game, whether it was an opposition at club or whatever, it makes a massive difference because your mind is relaxed at camp. Everyone knows what the line out call is. You know where it's going. There was no pressure on. Fiona, what's the, sorry to call in, Jim. What's, what's the rationale between when there was an interprovincial series right before these games, crucial match rugby that these players badly, badly needed? What was the mindset that said, we're not going to let them play rugby matches, we're going to keep them in camp here, and that's good preparation for the most important games we're going to have this year? Now, I'm not too sure if they tried to maybe make the interpros earlier, and I don't know if there was if there was issues with COVID and getting them earlier, but I'm sure they could have sorted something out. I would believe that the rationale in their minds would be they would learn more up at camp than performing with because they'd have to be released, I suppose, back to Munster, Leinster, Connacht, Ulster to train um, and they were keeping them in a bubble. So I don't think it was the correct decision. That's yeah. because they hadn't played rugby in a long time. I know a few have been playing over in England and were flying over and back, but it was it's for me, for them to get a feel of that interpros and start playing that competitive rugby, whether it was at international standard or not, it wasn't, yeah. but it's getting the games under your belt and getting that fitness about yourself. Wes, Just on that, sorry, yeah. Hugh. I, mean, I asked the question of, of somebody in the RFU exactly that point. Why was the interpros? Uh, could they have played them a little bit earlier or why were the girls not involved uh, and I was told look, it all came down to this COVID bubble the most important thing was for them to actually get to the qualification phase uh, of the tournament in Italy uh, because the girls are working you know, everyday lives and their everyday jobs um, and then obviously going into a different camps you know, and we have seen that happen obviously in the professional area uh, it's very difficult then it's the chicken and egg scenario like if you let them in and some of them get COVID, then they're out of the tournament. But then by not letting them in, they don't have the competitive rugby that Fiona is talking about. And I have to say, I watched the uh, the Monster Leinster, the, the Interpro decider, and I was pleasantly surprised, I, I, I must admit, by the quality of the game, by the the, the certainly in terms of, of uh, the attacking intent, the quality of passing that Fiona, and I know obviously international rugby, there's less space, there's more mm. pressure, defences are better organised. But uh, I, I thought the quality of the game was brilliant. I really enjoyed that that Munster Leinster game. Um, but look, that was the technical reason that I was given as to why they weren't involved. Because I can go back to the first ever World Cup from a, a men's perspective, 1987. We were stopped playing rugby five weeks beforehand, and uh, uh, I, I was captain at the time. I was absolutely against this, and uh, I was actually going to protest in terms of I was going to play for Carcan in the Munster Cup but we got beaten in the quarterfinals so I didn't have the opportunity we were out of the cup but uh, uh, anyway I mean that's a long time ago and there's a far more science involved around what yeah. they are now but you go back look I mean the opening game against Spain in some respects maybe if to Scotland or Italy were first up they might have taken a different approach so you know that kind of I, I won't say um you know, that they were more confident going in, but just, I mean, it just started badly and went from bad to worse. Yeah, it did. Wes, does it, we know there's an internal review, I think now from uh, the RFU, 
which yeah, are they're, you, they're usually very fruitful. All see, right. Well, you see, this is immediately, immediately. Well, what, what's the, the self-examination you know, examination going to yield here from the IRFU? Uh, because in order for it to be actually something worthwhile, they're going to have to be fairly, very self-critical because the reality is the women's game has just been thrown under the bus really since uh, that Grand Slam winning team, since Fiona's time. Um, since the World Cup even was here, there's absolutely no um, ground being made in terms of developing the game. You know, as you can judge, you only have to look at the AIL now and a handful of teams compete every week, which means there's no real numbers playing the game. There's very little um, selection to choose from in terms of player numbers. And this is a result now that Ireland will not be competing in the World Cup next year. Yeah, look, Fiona know the detail and a lot of this a lot better than I will, but <clears throat> there was, <clears throat> I suppose, all the initial commentary after this or most of it hmm. focused on the kind of systemic structural issues with, you know, the, the women's game has been neglected. Let's put it under that umbrella for the minute. And I think there's no doubt that, you know, when in the space of four months, you have that changing room fiasco and you have a head coach saying he doesn't know who his boss is a couple of months previously. Um, I think there's no doubt there is structural issues there. I think we're all in agreement on that. And, hmm. um, but I, I, I don't, like, I think a lot of the comment, like, frankly, I don't believe the sincerity of it. I see people tweeting about it, writing about it, that I know for years that are in the media. I don't know if they really give a shit or is it just virtue signaling, as it's called? Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's counterproductive, I think, um, when you, if there isn't sincerity behind it and it blows itself out, that criticism then after a while. But having said that, you get away from that stuff and onto what happened on the field. I think I heard Fiona Coughlin on the nine o'clock news on Monday night. And it was the first time I'd heard someone in the intervening time say, well, the players and the management have to take some responsibility. It was almost like everything had to be put on the wider structural issues. Mm. And, you know, it's good that the conversation has moved on because... They're not really going to get anywhere if there's always something to be blamed. And it's always this comparison with the men's game and the equivalence. But, I mean, I think if you looked at another amateur sport in the country, I mean, if you look at the Meads footballers that won the All-Ireland this year. Do you think the same standards, the same drive for excellence and accountability exists in the Irish women's rugby team as exists in that Mead football team? Yeah. Honestly. And, and maybe Fiona knows. Well, well, that I don't. Same, well, see, that's same, and this is my when I when I started with this, Fiona, I I, I mentioned first of all um, the performances of the players were going up. I mentioned yeah. second of all the selection decisions by Adam Griggs, which were bizarre, and they are bizarre. And the reason I mentioned those two is because this same Ireland team blew Scotland out of the water in the Six Nations last week. They blew Wales out of the water. Teams who would you know comfortably absolutely beaten. So what has happened between the Six Nations Championship and they're actually competitive enough in, in parts against France or whatever? What has happened since then? To put in that level of performance over the last three games, and I don't, I don't expect full answers now, but I just that's I, that's, where, that's where we're scratching our heads, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose, look, I I remember a few years ago as well. Now, it, it, it's probably done correctly at times, but I remember a few years ago there was issues in camp at the time because all of a sudden, um, sevens players just came in. It just, yeah. it just they were just thrown in at the, you know, and and that had to be sorted out. And I think it was around the World Cup time as well. There was more of that, so. I suppose 
when you look at, at the difference, it's it's there's no issue with those seven players coming in. You know, that's they're talented. They spend their full time athletes. There's absolutely no issue around that. But for for players and from what I can take from understanding, sometimes it's an absolute disrespect for the game of 15s, women's 15s that you can say here, just throw that athlete in there and they will they will be able to play outside center. They'll be able to play. Can they? Of course they can. And they would have the ability to be the best in the country. But why aren't they playing rugby like the rest of us? And you earn how you get in there. Why do why is that not where you're you're told play your 15s rugby, get out there, play it every week and we'll have a look at you then. If you're if you're thrown in and you're brought in, I think and that's and that's something that has been said to me by a few people that when you're up there and all of a sudden someone comes in who hasn't spent years practicing the fine and in tricks, as he say, of playing it safe, it won't happen in front row. I hope to God, mm. yes, yeah. <laughs> the Detroit Sevens player. Yeah. But yeah. imagine you're propping and, and going through all that, and then someone just comes in having never endured that lifetime of people drooling on your face in the AIL or you all know the little <laughs> things that goes on there, you know? It, it's, it's just kind of, I suppose, there is that disconnect. And yeah. the girls will tell you there probably wasn't, and they mightn't have noticed it, but sometimes there, there's something hidden there when, 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 they're, when you're not playing with people you're, you're seeing totally. playing rugby every totally. week in, week out. And again, I'm not to throw, like the likes of Lucy Mulhall, I've watched her the last five years. She She's is class. a phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. athlete. And she, I, I'm sure in time, will prove to be a very good 15th player. But she was thrown under the bus there because yeah. she picked it outside centre for the first game of the qualifiers with the whole team underperformed and she's chopped and didn't get a single second again afterwards um, after that game. So how much she feel now? Well, God almighty, like her confidence must be rock bottom. How they let Hannah Tyrrell retire after the Six Nations, our, our stand-in number 10, our key pivotal player, was just allowed to walk away into the sunset without so much as a, you know, a, a whisper about it. And Stacey Fu, who had played three times at number 10 beforehand, in as your starting pivot number 10. Those decisions to me make zero sense. And they fall on the coach. And like Adam Griggs, he can say, yeah, good for the players and all that kind of stuff. And we can point to the stuff behind the scenes with the RFU and they're all valid. But Adam Griggs has got to have to have a look at himself surely now and, and, and actually decide if he wants to take this forward, if he can indeed take them forward. Yeah, and it's exactly that. It's those, it's those. And as you said, Lu- Lucy's probably one of the best sevens players in Ireland. She's absolutely outstanding at what she does. And it was really, it was sad to see for her to, to be put in there uh, at that level in that high intense game that was really important for the whole of the country and that thrown on her shoulders and then dropped and not even on the squad, I don't think, after that. So, you know, that's that's not going to, even, whether you're Lucy or not, that doesn't build a good taste in the squad. You know what? I mean, you're 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 on the outside. You're looking at that. You're thinking, you know, do, does my coach back me? Whatever you feel, but they've definitely some of those decisions. A hundred percent, he made them, and he has to back his decisions, and he has his reasons. I'm a hundred percent sure. But as a, as for the whole benefit of the squad, I would wonder about that sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Fiona, sorry, Fiona, sorry, you boys. Go on. Drive I, I think you mentioned players not playing in the interpros that were involved in the squad. But I think like, as far as my understanding, there's another 20 plus players on some form of contract, largely primarily for sevens that weren't even involved in the interpros. So the interpros essentially became devoid of the 50 best players in the country. Is yeah. Well, accurate? yeah. 
Well, 50, yeah. I'm sure some of those girls, no offence to them, might have gone down to the provinces and maybe not have been selected because they've only played sevens. But yes, uh, yes, there was a lot of sevens girls who were contracted. And I think there was talk maybe by a couple of media people afterwards that they were actually in um, when the interpros were going on, they were away watching the game. Like, so it's, it's something. If you want to blend that mix of sevens and fifteens together, even like keep them contracted, let them play sevens. But when there's big games like that or big competitions, they need to be playing that. They need to be getting that 15s rugby if you believe they're a similar game. Sorry, can I ask you, Fiona a question just from a broader perspective in terms of like you're, you're the monster uh, under 18s coach. So therefore you're, you're dealing at the grassroots, if you like. You're seeing the yeah. kids that are coming up. Uh, you know, and I'm speaking from club land in terms of like in Munster, and correct me, I think we we Ballincollig have a club in Cork and there's only one club at Limerick. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm head coach of Ballincollig this year as well. I left Bowes last year. So oh, well I'm, done, by I'm, the way. For, oh, well done last weekend. That was a massive yeah. result. Massive result for you guys as well. Sorry, go it on. It was, sorry, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, well, great. And, and you know, I have a lot of friends out in Ballincollig, so delighted to see them doing well. <laughs> but I'm talking in a broader context yeah. here. Like, obviously... Uh, you know, established senior clubs like my own and Carcon. We don't have a ladies team and we looked into it and there are so many, like club rugby in Ireland has massive, even more so since COVID. I mean, and I've been speaking to club presidents around the country. Volunteerism is a big issue now because people who've been yeah. out of the loop for two years haven't got back involved in club land. Space, I mean, if we if we were to have a ladies uh, side in, in, in Con. We have a, we'd have a problem pitches wise. We'd have a, a problem dressing room wise. Uh, I like who would take on the challenge because it's something that we've spoken about and something that we we'd like to develop, but we just don't have the resources to do it. So where are these young and and that is replicated by a lot of if you like established men's clubs around the country. So how do we grow the game from the kids' perspective? Are you starting clubs from from the fresh? Uh, are are you know, I don't even know where you start. I mean, like your girls at under 18 level, where yeah. are they coming from? Where are they learning their rugby? Deep down in the back arse of Cork, I think is a lot of them. There's, there's a lot of good rugby be playing down in, in West Cork. But no, look, I think I think Donald sometimes as well, it's like, oh, let's start up a, a women's team. And in in like, it is a good idea, but sometimes there's too many teams. So I, what I would find at times is when we were, say, when I was coaching Bowes or, or coaching Ball and Colleague now, that there's a lot of players playing that would be really, really good. Um, and say there's a massive gap between um, AIL and the next level of rugby played. And they don't want to leave their, their clubs because, um, you know, they, they enjoyed it. That's where they learned rugby. That's where they want to stay. So I think the more and more clubs that come on board, it's just about getting together and maybe getting that kind of dual status system working where you can get people playing up when they're at the level. Because at the end of the day, there's probably about 20% of maybe even less that will play up at a Munster or an Ireland thing. So it's about enjoying the game and you know it's great and at the club in Ballincollig this weekend it was absolutely buzzing the whole the whole of Ballincollig nearly was out watching the match it was it was amazing to see and to see that and since I've got there I've noticed that they're underage girls and I met a, a man that I coached in Dolphin and he was bringing down his girls Ballincollig she was like five or six just because he knew I was coaching there and just he and the, the girls side have grown so it's it's kind of getting the girls out at a young age 
and playing with Corcon, playing whatever. And then yeah. I suppose it's looking at maybe shipping them, them on after that. I know a lot of clubs don't like doing that, but you know, feeder clubs definitely are something and getting them out, getting that whole thing going. And then you direct them in, in up to that top level and you want them getting the best coaching from there. That's okay, just listen, my opinion. Yeah, and we'll get back into this, I'm sure, later on in the season, guys. We're just out of time, um, unfortunately. Fiona, thanks so much. My thanks to Wes and to, to Dono as well. 7.35, Monster Storm is live on RT2 uh, this weekend. Uh, so tune in for that. To Monster fans, I would appeal for your own health and safety. If you're making way away from Tomo Park after, just get out of Donald's way. Otherwise, you'll get a shovel hand off to the face as you're making a beeline for his car down to court. Um, well, thanks to the lads. Um, listen, um, thanks to your company as well. Uh, we will talk to you next week. Good luck. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. Proud official kit suppliers to the Irish men and women's rugby teams.